Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I wanted to try to keep up with the not leaving such long spaces in between the episodes. So you got an episode yesterday, and I'm putting in, putting together this one today. Uh, today I want to go into the what is, I guess, officially the part two of the Enlightenment Under Attack. Uh, if you remember, I split the part one into part one and part 1.5. Um, the part two... I want to focus on some of the um, ideas that were brought out in the Enlightenment, but that were never put into practice. Um, They were put into practice in very limited and very uh, skewed ways. Uh, And this is part of the failure of the Enlightenment, is that it sets out these high values that it never has managed to live up to. Now, that doesn't mean that these values should just be disregarded, it means that we should actually push to uh, make these things a reality. And the two main values that it never actually lived up to were equality and democracy. Uh, In equality, we get wonderful speeches about all men being created equal, but when we look at even the writings in between the founders, and we look at the way that that worked out into law, Uh, That excluded quite a few men out of the all. Uh, Basically, it excluded anyone who was uh, of African descent, uh, excluded people who were um, of Spanish descent, it it excluded indigenous peoples, it excluded uh, even whites who were poor or working class, Uh, and it excluded women from every group. So basically, the all men are created equal while it sounds like it's all-inclusive, uh, it was really written with the intention of all property-owning white uh, males were created equal. Uh, this was something that you see is put together in the Constitution, and it was, it was very much discussed between the Founding Fathers that uh, there had to be a way to keep the people from uh, sort of outvoting the rich. Uh, the wealthy were the ones that had most of the wealth, but they were a very small minority of the population. And even before the Constitution, uh, in the New World, they were starting to have a lot of problems with uh, slave revolts. And the slave revolts weren't just the slaves from Africa. They were uh, combinations of the slaves from Africa, the indentured white slaves, and the poor whites. These three groups would often fight together when they would have rebellions. Uh, And so one of the things that even before the country was founded, um, you have a lot of the uh, uh, governors, regional governors, talking about is the fact that there needs to be a division between these three groups. Because these three groups were seen as a very real threat, as they were a larger part of the population. So they started to uh, put into uh, practice... Uh, things that would keep uh, these three groups at each other's throats and separated. Uh, One of them was to strictly pass laws. Uh, They passed laws against intermarriage because there was a lot of um, intermarriage going on between these groups. Uh, And they saw that the closer these groups came, the more likely they would be to uh, keep rebelling together until they eventually overthrew the people in power. So they passed laws against intermarriage. They passed laws that classified the three groups uh, differently, gave them different rights, different uh, 
levels of, not really give them very many rights, but I should say give them different classifications um, so that they uh, would start to see themselves as being different, uh, so that they could play them against each other rather than letting them work together. Um, they also saw the need that in playing them against each other, they needed to kind of encourage racism because racism was not something that was happening between these groups. Uh, there was no natural animosity between them. Uh, they all tended to get along, and that's why they often tended to rebel together. In fact, they had lots of uh, relationships uh, between them. And so they had to start really driving through this idea of um, different races. So racism, uh, if you look at it from that perspective, really is something that capitalism has used from its earlier day, earliest days of colonial capitalism uh, up through an <clears throat> industrial capitalism and up into the present time. Uh, this racism is something that was um, done by necessity for the people in charge because they were always a minority and they always had to find a way to keep the majority angry at each other rather than being angry at the people who were actually running things and um, causing all the problems. Uh, the other part that has never really been, um, that was talked about uh, an Enlightenment ideal that was never really brought into fruition was democracy. And part of this has to do with the thing we just talked about. Um, the wealthy knew that they were a minority, and if there was too much democracy, then eventually the poor and the working class would outvote the wealthy, and there would be a redistribution of wealth. When the uh, capitalists sort of took power from the monarchy and the nobilities, um, they wanted to be sort of the new nobility without calling themselves that. Um, they wanted to make it seem like they were in charge of uh, democratic systems. So they didn't want the old stigma of the nobility of people, well, you were born an aristocrat or you were born a royal, so that's your position, and if you weren't born into those, uh, you weren't able to advance. Uh, the new rising leaders uh, wanted to keep that privilege of the aristocracy and the nobility, um, but they wanted to make it seem like it was something different. And so they use a lot of language, and they do this deliberately. They actually talk about it in their letters back and forth and in their discussions they had that, you know, the language needs to seem like uh, you're empowering the people while you're not actually empowering the people. Uh, the the uh, ideas about democracy really came from three groups that they kind of put together. Uh, the ancient Greeks in Athens, uh, the Romans, uh, pre-Roman Empire, when the Roman Senate was actually um, the realistic power, and uh, also the Iroquois. Uh, the Iroquois were uh, five tribes who originally got together and decided that uh, war was not really beneficial for them, and it was causing a lot of chaos, and so they create what they called a League of Peace, where they um, would uh, agree to a confederation, uh, where they would try to balance power between the tribes and between um, uh, the tribes and the council. And the council was made up of members of each of the tribes. So it's really one of the oldest systems of democracy that was ever created and functioned. 
Uh, it was started in 1147 and continued to function afterwards. So there is no other experiment in democracy that has actually lasted that long. And from the Iroquois, they got a lot of ideas of separation of powers, the two-house Senate, um, the idea that people can't hold more than one political office at a time, um, who has the power to declare war. Um, things like this were all adopted from the Iroquois. So the system had a lot of good foundations, but the people that were actually writing the Constitution and putting the system together had an interest in making sure that this democracy thing didn't get too far out of hand. Um, and so they put things into the system uh, deliberately to keep a limit on democracy. Uh, one of the things that people still complain about and that we still have is the Electoral College. Uh, the Electoral College was put in place in case, um, in the words of the founders, the people made a mistake. Uh, if the people voted for someone to be president who wasn't going to uh, uphold the values and uphold the rights of the wealthy, uh, then the Electoral College could simply select someone else. This is why we do not vote directly for the president. We vote for people in the Electoral College because the Electoral College, from its conception, always had the ability to completely disregard whatever the popular vote was and install whichever candidate they chose. Um, now, this has never happened completely. Uh, they've never completely disregarded. Um, but the way that the system was has been set up We've had many times where the person who won the popular vote uh, was not the person who ended up as president, and this has happened many times throughout our history. <clears throat> the other um, safety feature that they built into the Constitution uh, has to do with the Senate. It wasn't until the beginning of the 20th century that people were actually directly able to elect their own uh, state senators. You could vote for your House members, uh, but the state senators were chosen by the uh, state House and Senate of each state. So the local, each, each state's uh, government, their House and their Senate, would choose and appoint the two senators for their state. So this was a way of, again, keeping the, the uh, ability to vote for these people out of the hands of the public. Uh, and keep it within the people who are the owners and who had, they felt, the right to make all of the decisions. Another factor that they <clears throat> put into the Constitution to kind of keep it from becoming too democratic was the way that the uh, Supreme Court is set up. Uh, the Supreme Court has to be nominated by the President and then approved by the Senate. Well, this completely cuts the people out of the equation. Once they voted for the Senate and for the president, they have no further input on who gets into the Supreme Court. And these people are placed in there for life. Um, now, all of these things, uh, while they are uh, things that are anti-democratic, are also things that we can eventually work to uh, overcome. We can change the Constitution. We can change the way that the system works. Um, one of the fears of originally about democracy was that you would have uneducated people uh, running everything by uh, emotion instead of running things by reason, uh, which is 
true if you put uneducated people in charge of things that don't really understand um, economics, don't really understand, uh, you know, how things work, uh, international uh, rules, international treaties, things like that. But this was something that could have been overcome also. Um, we could have had an education system that instead of making people more obedient to authority and patriotic so that they follow their leaders and follow their country no matter what, we could have been uh, putting in place a system of education that elevated people to where they would actually have the skills to participate, um, participate wisely. Uh, in addition to the uh, lack of education in uh, how things work and how to participate wisely, uh, we've also had a rise of um, bad types of logic. Uh, the rise of logical fallacies uh, and propaganda. If you look at, uh, and this starts in both politics and advertising, how most people are convinced to make their decisions, they're not convinced by good logic and good facts. Uh, they're convinced uh, to do things by their emotions. Um, usually fear, hope, the desire to belong, um, the desire not to be left behind, other fallacies like the either-or fallacy or faulty cause and effect. Uh, I, I went over this pretty pretty uh, thoroughly in an earlier essay, but um, this kind of sort of brings a, it around to uh, what this kind of thinking has done. So instead of a population that has been educated to make good logical decisions, uh, we've ended up with a population that is taught to go by how it feels. Uh, how, does, how does the candidate make you feel? Is the candidate likable? Um, and so what we're left with is not a lot of real substance when they have the political debates, but we're left with a lot of emotional manipulation. And we're left with a lot of gridlock. Uh, and the people that are having the debates, the people that have gotten to that position, as they have been since the, you know, even before the founding of the country, have always been people that the ruling class has approved of. Uh, if the ruling class does not approve of these people, they would not get the nomination. They would not be there for our choice. Uh, so basically, we're manipulated in most of our important decisions emotionally or by tricks like faulty cause and effect or... Um, uh, uh, either-or fallacies, um, but we are also left with um, no real choice even if we got beyond that, because the people that get up there aren't our choices. They're, po they're people that are chosen for us, and whichever one can sway us emotionally the best is the one that we end up with, which keeps ensuring that democracy, you know, appears to be there on paper, people actually got to vote, but they didn't get to vote uh, wisely. They weren't informed. They weren't given the tools of how to evaluate um, candidates. And they weren't given too much of the substance of the candidates. For example, <clears throat> you often have candidates that come forth and say they want to reform the education system. That sounds wonderful. But there's absolutely no substance to that. These are all emotional words. 
Uh, reform makes it sound like you're going to do something that makes it better. But to reform just means to change it. It doesn't say that it's it doesn't really say whether it's going to be better or worse. Reform is just to change. Um, plus, you notice there are no details given about how are they going to reform the education system. You know, what are the actual steps they are going to take? Um, okay, I'm going to cut off on this episode for now because, as I've said many, many times, I don't want these episodes to get too long. I hope all of you are staying safe, and I hope all of you are well, and I will talk to you again soon.